In this episode of Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, Matt Irinaga finds salvation in the form of a very burly angel. And this guy, he looks like Paul Bunyan, you know? <laughs> he's got grubby Carhartts on, he's got a big beard, he's got his glasses are all fogged up, and, and I say to him, I say, hey, man, I could really use a, some help here. And he looks down and he says, I can see that. And Phoebe Rohrbacher manages to hit the nicest man in Alaska with her car, but really, really super gently. And just then this little old man, physically fit, uh, jumped up, popped up and said, I just turned 90 years old. Can you fetch me my cap? Kindness of strangers. Up next on Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, I'm Rob Prince. When you live in a place as remote and generally inhospitable as Alaska, you can imagine that you would develop a sort of we're-in-this-together attitude, and that's just what we've got up here. The other day I pulled over to put a little more oil in my Subaru's engine and had no sooner gotten the hood up before somebody pulled over to ask if I needed help. I mean, it took 10 seconds. <laughs> and the same thing happened last summer. If you're in Alaska and want to meet a local, just pull over and pop your hood and you'll make a friend in 10 seconds. In today's episode of Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, we celebrate the kindness of strangers with two stories from our February 2022 live event in Fairbanks. The first comes from Matt Irinaga, and what's remarkable about this one is that it is the other side of a story that we had on the show two years earlier from Tom Bakker. So if it sounds familiar to you regular listeners, that's why. Also, to fully understand what's going on in this story, you need to know that Matt Irinaga has a huge stuffed animal dog on stage with him as a prop, and it has a tongue that he's able to stick to the mic stand. Here's Matt. I'm at work one day. It's late in the afternoon, and, and uh, I get a phone call from my wife. And she says, Hey, I'm at the Fairbanks Animal Shelter, and there's a great dog here. And I'm like, What? We didn't talk about dog. What are you doing at the shelter? I'll tell you what, I'm about to leave work. I'll be home in 10 minutes. We'll talk about it then. Now, for all you parents out there, you know that means that's another way of saying no. <laughs> so, so I get home, and uh, uh, Paula meets me at the door, and, and it's about 5 o'clock. She's really excited, and she says, Hey, so I was just at the shelter. There's this great dog there, and... Uh, um, he's so new that they don't have his bio written yet, meaning like his history, and uh, he just got there. Uh, if we go there right now, we can uh, visit with the dog, do the paperwork, and bring him home. And, and, and I'm like, well, time out, okay? But, okay, I succumb, right? Let's go. All right, let's go. They close at 5.30, and everything's kind of rushed. And so uh, we, we, we take off. We, we drive to the uh, uh, animal shelter, and on the drive over, I'm thinking, there's no way, we can't get a dog. You know, this is my brain tell, talking to me. I said, I'm, I'm not ready for a dog. I, I can't commit to a dog. Dogs take responsibility, and I'm just not ready for it, you know? And plus, we got one kid already, and we've been practicing to have another kid. So, you know. <laughs> It's not going to work. It just it doesn't fit our equation. And then the other side of my brain says, forget it. You really don't have a vote in this, and you're going to have to deal with it. So 
So we go to the shelter, and, and, and Paul is right. I mean, this is a great dog. And to make a long story short, the dog comes home with us. And the dog's name is Coda, and uh, he's, a, he's a Goldie uh, Husky mix. He's about two years old. One of the best attributes about Coda was that he had, a, he had like an Akita tail that was like a, like a full curl ram that he would kind of hold off to the side. And then his ears were floppy, but when he was excited or really happy, they would, like, they would stick straight out <laughs> like this. And he looked just like Master Yoda, you know? So Coda becomes part of our family. And, and as Paula predicted, he worked out great. Now, fast forward again a few months, six, seven, eight, nine months later. It's now Thanksgiving morning. Uh, it's, it's Thanksgiving 2006, to be exact. And I tell Paula, hey, I'm going to take Coda for a walk. Uh, we're going to go up to the community garden, and uh, I'll be back in an hour. And uh, so she says goodbye, and uh, we lived in the Island Home subdivision right across the street from Stenden Park. And so uh, I, I, I get dressed up. I'm wearing this parka plus a bunch of other layers. It's 28 below zero. We take off. We, we leave the house, walk across the park, and then we get right down to the river. And Coda, he stops. And he, he kind of looks up at me, and he says, hey, man, let's lose the leash, okay? Let's lose the leash. I got to... It's cold. I got to stay warm. I, I need to stretch. I got to run. And I look at him and I say, all right, but don't do anything stupid. Okay. I, I, un, I unhitch him and it's early in the morning. It's 930. There's no one around. It's real quiet. And it's Thanksgiving morning. And so, um, you know, once I unleash Coda, he pretty much takes off, you know. <laughs> Starts running around and rolling in the snow and sniffing over here and sniffing over there. But he's okay. We've done this before. And, and he usually would come back with voice command. You know, not always, but usually. And I'm not worried because there there's no one there. There's no one out there, right? It's, it's, it's quiet. So we're walking along and we head up the river towards the community garden right along the Chena. And um, we get to the community garden and we walk up the embankment of the river, and uh, there's a parking area there. And I'm, I'm walking along, and Coda's about 15 feet away from me, and, and uh, he's doing his own thing. And as we get closer to the garden, I look over, and he is, he, let me, I need to grab the mic here now. He is on the ground, but he's, he's writhing in pain. He's like rolling around like this, and I'm like, oh my God, Coda, what is wrong? And, and so I, I run up to him, and the first thing I notice is his tongue is stuck out. It's about, I'm not kidding you, it's about at least 12 or 15 inches long. And I'm like, holy cow. And then I noticed that his tongue was, was extended, but it was also twisted. So he had put his tongue on the bottom of a steel fence post, and in the process, he rolled. Not once, but twice. So I, I grab him like this, okay, and now I gotta untwist his tongue. So I flip him over. <laughs> and I flip over again, okay? So now, all right. 
there we go. <sighs> Thanks to the prop people here. Uh, we're just like this, okay? But I have to be close to this post because otherwise his tongue will stretch out, right? So his, his, tongue is, his tongue is untwisted and he's still stuck to this post. And I'm going, Coda, what did you do? <laughs> and he looks up at me and he's like, oh, you know? <laughs> and so, so we are literally like this, all right? Anyone's first inclination is like, yank, right? Yank. Well, I yanked and it did not come off. And so now I have, uh, I'm taking my left hand, I take my glove off and I'm pinching his tongue and I'm trying to get it off. And it is not coming off. This tongue is stuck. It's not like it's stuck. It's like it's welded onto this post. And, and I notice now that he's bleeding, right? In his panic, he had rolled over and bit his tongue and now there's blood dripping down his tongue and onto my hand. And I'm actually thinking, well, that's actually keeping my hand warm. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, all right, Coda, we're going to be okay. I'm trying to, you know, calm down and talk nice to him. And he's actually kind of calmed down now. And he's kind of looking up at me and, and trusting me to do the right thing. So I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my hand, Coda, and we're going to warm it up. And your tongue's going to come right off. Okay. Well, yeah, that, that does not work. <laughs> all right, so then I say, all right, Coda, uh, let's go to plan B here. I'm, I'm going to breathe on it. Okay, Coda, so get ready. And so I, I got to get in position. And as I look down, it's, it's about this time I notice that this fence post is like the Instagram, Snapchat, Conley card of all the dogs in Hamilton Acres has come here and left their message. And it's like a stalagmite of, of pee. And so I have to get down low and I go, ah, ah. <coughs> was, bad idea, bad idea, did not work. All right, so plan C now is I'm going to spit on it. All right, <laughs> this is going to work. So I'm going, Puh! 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 <sighs> it only made it worse. <laughs> All right, so now Coda, we're, I mean, we're literally in this position right now. And now I'm like, God, Coda, what are we going to do? And I thought, well, I don't have, I wasn't carrying a phone, don't have any water bottle with me, don't have a knife, I'm thinking I can scrape it off. And I look at Coda and I say, well, Coda, the only tool I have left is what Mother Nature provided. <laughs> and uh, get ready. <laughs> so I, I'm wearing this parka because this is just a shell of a parka that my wife had sewn me. But underneath this, I've got like this skin parka. It's real heavy, it's super warm. And underneath that, I've got another couple layers. And on my bottom, I got like insulated Carhartts, long johns, underwear. And so, you know, 
I'm looking at about five inches of insulation here. <laughs> and, and my hand's numb, right? So for, in order for me to perform this act, I gotta really work hard <laughs> to even find my fly. And, and not, not just that, you know, it, it was actually kind of up here, really. And so I gotta like get way up on my knees and, and I'm struggling and, and I can't really see. <laughs> and, I, and I brace Coda and I, now I'm literally, I'm shooting blind from the hip. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm using something kind of like a BB gun and I wish I had a shotgun. <laughs> Remember, it's, it's 30 below, okay? 28 below. All men are created equal at 30 below. <laughs> okay. So, I'm ready. I'm ready. I can't really see what I'm doing, but I think I'm ready. And so I warned Coda. I said, okay, Coda, here it comes. Get ready. And I wait. And I wait. <laughs> and I'm like, Coda, I'm out of bullets. I can't go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in about time, this time I thought, geez, man, if a cop showed up, I'm going straight to jail. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of dejected, and I sit back down, and all right, so now like 10 minutes have gone by, and uh, it, things aren't getting better. I'm still, I still have a hold of Coda's tongue like this, thinking that, I don't know, it's going to pop off, but it, obviously it's not. And so we hang out there, and it's like, gosh, Coda, I'm out of options. I don't know what we're going to do. And uh, a few more minutes go by, and it's, you know, it's Thanksgiving morning. There's no one around. And Oh, and I forgot to mention the ice fog this day was super thick, by the way. I mean, it was like one of those classic Fairbanks ice fogs. So the light was real surreal, and the sun was just starting to come up. But uh, after a few minutes of sitting here like this, Coda, he starts like, his ears perk up. And he starts like trying to look beyond me, and he's getting all excited. And I, and I look over, and I, over my left shoulder, and I see a man. And, yeah, I mean, he was like an apparition out of the ice fog. And, and it was a big man. And so he's got two dogs, two big black dogs, and this is a big man. He's got Carhartts on, he's big beard, and, and I look over and I yell. I say, hey, I need some help over here. And the big man kind of pauses, and then he takes a step back. <laughs> And I'm like, no, no, don't, don't run. And, and so I yell again. I say, hey, I need some help over here. And then, and it's like someone had slapped him, and he kind of like shakes his head, and he looks, he's looking around, and he can't really see anything. And he takes a few steps forward, and then I yell again. I say, hey, I need some help. And then he walks up on us, and and I realize he couldn't see us because I've got this white parka on, the sun's behind me. And the ice fog is like everywhere. And he walks up, and now I'm looking up at him. 
And this guy, he looks like Paul Bunyan, you know? He's got grubby Carhartts on, he's got a big beard, he's got his glasses are all fogged up, and, and I say to him, I say, hey, man, I could really use a, some help here. And he looks down and he says, I can see that. <laughs> and so I ask him, hey, you don't, you don't have any water on you, do you? And he says, no, I don't. I just live around the corner there in Hamilton Acres. I don't have any water. And he says, okay, uh, how about a knife? You got a knife? Maybe we can scrape his tongue off. And he says, nope, I don't have a knife either. And then I got to ask him the million dollar question. <laughs> you don't have to pee, do you? And he says, no, I just went. I live right around the corner in Hamilton Acres here. And I just left. I just went before I left the house. And I said, oh, geez. Well, do you mind going to the nearest house and getting some water? And he says, yeah, I can do that. So he ties off his dogs off the fence not far from us. And Coda's like, hey, let's go on. Hey, play, uh, baby. And so I watch this big man. He, he shuffles off into the ice fog and disappears. And so I sit back, and I'm going, okay, Coda, all right, well, you know, help is coming. And uh, we're going to get out of this mess. And, uh, and a few minutes later, he, here he comes. He's, like, shuffling his feet. He's moving pretty fast. He's a big guy, but he's moving pretty quick. And in his hand, he's carrying one of those red Solo cups. Okay? And he's shuffling up. He's being careful not to spill it. And he, and he comes right up on us, and uh, he hands me the cup. And I take the cup, and I pour it over Coda's tongue. And the cup was also half full, by the way. That's because we're optimists. I pour it, pour it, pour it, and then boom, last drip. Oh, tongue pops off. And I'll never forget this image, but Coda's tongue was deep, deep purple, and it was concave. And then he sucks it right in his mouth. <laughs> so, um, so there's three things I want to leave you with. Um, one is the, uh, the Fairbanks Animal Shelter. Great place, support it. If you need an animal, cat, dog, hamster, go to the Fairbanks Animal Shelter because they're really wonderful people. Uh, the second thing is, uh, you know, you, might, you, you, ne you never know when you're going to encounter an angel that looks like Tom. <laughs> you know? So Fairbanks is a small town, so uh, be kind to people. And the last thing is, uh, uh, if Coda had been wearing a mask, none of this would have ever happened. <laughs> Thank you. Matt Irinaga. He told that story at our February 2022 live event in Fairbanks. This is Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, the Kindness of Strangers episode. I'm Rob Prince. Our final story today comes from Juneau, Alaska, where it would appear some of the most patient and forgiving people in the world happen to live. Phoebe Rohrbacher has the evidence for that. She told this story at our February 2022 live event in Fairbanks. I'm going to start with reading a letter to the editor. 
hit by a car, saved by physical fitness. I recently celebrated my 90th birthday, but while I was out for a walk on November 17th, I was struck by an automobile on Evergreen Avenue near my home. The driver experienced poor vision on the windshield and got distracted, attempting to eliminate the problem. When the vehicle struck me, knocking me off my feet into a heavy steel guardrail. The emergency room at Bartlett Regional Hospital spent three hours doing x-rays and multiple checks on my body and found no broken bones. I have extensive lacerations on my legs and I am recovering slowly. This accident was as close to death as I ever cared to be. Therefore, I point to the urgent need for sidewalks. I believe this miracle is due to my excellent physical condition. Sincerely, Dean Williams. So everybody's probably wondering, what in the hell kind of monster would run over a 90-year-old man with their car? And I'm sorry to tell you that you're looking at her. You're looking at the monster. I did it. Guilty. And so you heard his side of the story. So I'm here to tell you my side of the story. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. My side is I did it. I'm guilty. It's, it was a terrible, it was really awful. But um, luckily, he wasn't too badly injured. Um, so I thought I'd just tell you. So I was borrowing my friend's parents' car. I was house-sitting for them in Juneau, Alaska. I, they had a minivan. And I just had gotten my license. I was a pretty new driver. I was 20. Um, so I'd had it for like six months feeling pretty good about it, confident. Um, and I, uh, it was November of 2007, and I, I started the car, and I was on my way somewhere. I can't remember where, because the details all really flew out the window when this whole thing happened. But um, I was clearly a very busy lady. I'm in a hurry. I was in a hurry. The window was fogged up, but I was too busy to even clean it off. And I thought, well, it'll be fine. I'm just going to start driving, and then it'll clear up, um, and it'll stop being foggy. So I started driving, and about like two minutes into the drive, I was like, you know, this is awfully foggy, and I probably should clean it off because there could be an accident. I could, I could hit somebody with my car. I really should do something. So, you know, in retrospect, I probably should have pulled over, stopped, turned on the anti-fog, but instead, I decided to just keep driving really slow, like three miles per hour. And I reached down to find the defroster. And in your own car, you know where that is. But I was borrowing my friend's parents' minivan, and so I was sort of like groping around, feeling for the thing, and I couldn't find it. So I leaned down for like two seconds. And again, I'm just going real slow. <laughs> but um, I leaned down and... Just as I found it, I felt the unmistakable thud of a human body <laughs> on the car. <laughs> so I stopped the car, horrified, and I, I looked up and I just shouted, My God, what have I done? <laughs> I, I jumped out of the car and I looked around and I, I was really upset, worried, and I didn't see anything. So I was like, oh, maybe it's a false alarm. Like, no harm, no foul. But then, just then, this little old man, physically fit, uh, jumped up, popped up, and said, I just turned 90 years old. 
can you fetch me my cap? And I was like, surprise, happy birthday. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, I was like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. So I ran and got the hat, and um, it had flown over the guardrail. Luckily, he had not flown over the guardrail. Um, and I got it, and I gave it to him. And um, I probably should have taken him to the hospital. Like, he, he seemed fine. Um, he... <laughs> I was like, we need to call the police, because I should probably go to jail um, forever, for the rest of my life. And, um, but neither of us had a cell phone on us. And so, so he said, well, I live right around the corner. I said, oh, do you want a ride? Um, and he was like, no, thank you. <laughs> I'll walk. So he walked, but there was nowhere to pull over, really, so I had to follow him in the car. <laughs> so he was walking home and I was like trying to not follow too far behind because he kept looking back like wondering if I was going to finish the job. <laughs> um, and so we get to his house and he's just being so nice throughout this whole thing. Like I'm really the one who's having the harder time <laughs> it seemed. And he, we got to his house and he's like, Edna, Edna, there's someone I'd like you to meet. <laughs> This is Phoebe. She just hit me with her vehicle. And Edna comes out, and I mean, sweetest woman, she's like, oh, it is a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> and I was like, God, if only these people could be my grandparents. They're so nice. I just hit them with a car, and imagine if I was actually someone they knew and loved. Um, so she's like in the kitchen making me tea, and cookies, and he's in the living room with me, and I think I'd called the cops by that point, and I was trying not to, you know, trying to hold myself together. He's trying to make light, like jokes for me to help me make me feel better. He's like, you know, Edna and Dean are palindromes, E-D-N-A, D-E-A-N. Isn't that wonderful? I was like, I'm so glad you found each other, yes. And he's like, you know, this is the closest I've ever come to death. And I served in World War II. I fought the Japanese. And I was a logger. <laughs> I was like, my God. What the Japanese Imperial Army and an unregulated timber industry pre-OSHA couldn't do? I almost did. And I later learned that he survived polio. <laughs> so, so, anyway, I, the police came and they took a couple of points off my license. Um, I was like, here it is, if you want me to do the honors, I'll cut it up. Um, but they, you know, they said I could keep it. And um, I always was trying to figure out, you know, I felt so bad about this. And I was like, what could I do? to just help make up for this. Um, and so one thing I thought of, I was like, you know, it's holiday time. My parents usually have a Christmas party every Christmas. Um, so I invited him. I invited Dean and Edna. And unfortunately, Edna couldn't make it, but Dean showed up and he had a little tray of cookies, probably my favorite kind that she'd made me <laughs> the day of the accident. And um, uh, he brought it and he walked into the house and the decorations are so nice. And he's looking around, he's like, oh, what lovely decorations. And the words had no sooner left his lips when he tripped over our ottoman and <laughs> tumbled to the floor, probably hurting himself again. So at that point, I was like, okay, the nicest thing I can do for these people um, is to really distance myself because <laughs> clearly I'm like 
you know, next in line for the angel of death. Um, so I uh, let him live out the rest of his days. And um, on December 18th, 2012, God did what I could not do. And he went and, you know, went to heaven. And I just, you know, nowadays I just like to think about um, whenever I'm driving and I have a, you know, foggy windshield and I think, I don't have time to clean this. I like to think Dean's in the car telling me, like, just take the extra two seconds. So thank you. Phoebe Rohrbacher. She shared that story at our February 2022 live event in Fairbanks. Thanks so much for listening to Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, the Kindness of Strangers episode. Today's episode was edited by myself, Rob Prince, story consultation by Lori Newfeld. Remember, these are the stories we tell up here in Alaska on Dark Winter Nights. I'm Rob Prince. <laughs>